Did you try a carnivore month? A month where you eat red meat, eggs, butter. If you did, no doubt you lost weight. And when you lose weight, you're going to feel better. But did you worry that this might not be the healthiest diet for you long term? Now, the carnivore crowd will point to improved health and weight loss as the reason for this diet. But you know it's really not healthy, don't you? Let me give you another example. Perhaps you'll remember the beer and sausage diet. I've done a podcast about this. And on that diet, Evo, who, by the way, is producing this podcast, lost weight every month he was on the diet. In addition, all of the blood biochemical markers we measure, which was every week, the poor guy was a pincushion, improved while he was on that diet. Based on that, you could argue well, maybe drinking beer and eating sausage is a good diet. You could. But since we're not into sophistry here, let's just look at the evidence. We know from thousands of papers the healthiest diet on the planet is the Mediterranean diet, which limits red meat to four ounces a day. I mean, if you eat less than four ounces of red meat, you get that valued point consume four ounces or more, no points. Today on 4Q, we're going to examine the madness of the carnivore diet and decide if eating all of that red meat is healthy or not. I'm Dr. Terry Simpson, and this is 4Q. Fork University, where we make sense of the madness, bust a few myths, all while teaching you a little bit about food as medicine. When we start looking at things like epidemiologic data, we have to simply be clear about red meat and most nutrition. Is red meat like smoking? Well, it's not. There's a very, very clear correlation between smoking cigarettes heart disease, and cancer. And these were found in multiple epidemiologic studies, culminating with the Surgeon General's famous 1964 report stating that smoking was a clear and present danger to society and people should do whatever they can to stop smoking. Now, you may not remember this because most of you are younger than this, but there was a lot of pushback from that report. At the time of that report in 1964, two-thirds of American adults smoked. But that report, as well as taxes placed on cigarettes and further evidence that came out, clearly changed the course of smoking in this country. One of the things I find interesting about smoking was one of the more famous studies was the Seventh-day Adventist study published in 1958 and a Framingham study, both classic epidemiologic studies and what is more fascinating is the carnivore crowd says epidemiologic studies are flawed. They say they're flawed because that's the evidence we have about red meat. But red meat is not clearly like smoking. There is a very clear correlation between red meat and cancer and red meat and heart disease. We have some of the mechanistic data, but it is not as clear and overwhelming as smoking, and we shouldn't compare them. Oh, and as an aside, 
every now and then when I talk about these things to carnivore people say, I've, you're just trying to keep us from getting healthy because when we eat nothing but meat as man is supposed to do, and I'm not sure who decided what man was supposed to do, by the way, but we will lose business as physicians. And it's kind of like, you know, we as physicians really don't run out of patience. <laughs> and we would, we would love to change all their lifestyles so that they don't come into our office, but that, that doesn't happen. I'm going to take you back now to the Mediterranean area. We're going to go back to the time of the famous seven country studies that started in the 1950s from Ansel Keys. It initially aimed to investigate the relationship between lifestyle, diet, and the incidence of coronary heart disease and stroke in different populations. The study included men from seven countries, the United States, Japan, Italy, Greece, Netherlands, Finland, and Yugoslavia. Now it's not called Yugoslavia anymore. But what they did in this study was fascinating because they took about 14,000 men and they followed them from the time of the start of this diet. They were all 40 or under at the time until they died. They took the food that they were about to prepare and eat for themselves, took it away from them, froze it, brought it back to labs and evaluated it for its weight, its calorie value, its nutrient value, all of those things that you can't do just by putting down on a piece of paper on a food frequency questionnaire. So this was a very valid study. And then they followed these people every time they went to a hospital. And every year they took these people, they measured their blood lipids, they measured their cholesterol, they did EKGs, they did lots of lab work, all the way until they died or about 50 years. What the seven countries study is really well known for was its significant contribution to our understanding of heart disease and the role of fats in the diet, particularly the impact of saturated fat and the benefits of what we now call the Mediterranean diet. And it didn't specifically focus on one thing or another. It was more concerned with dietary patterns. Following up on that study, there have been thousands of studies looking at the dietary patterns of people who had less heart disease and strokes, and they made some significant contributions. People who had less heart disease and strokes ate more fruits, ate more vegetables. Their fats came from olive oil, not saturated fats. They ate more whole grains. However, its findings did indirectly influence the discourse of red meat consumption today. Because that study's observations that populations consuming diets low in saturated fat, like what we now call the Mediterranean diet, had lower rates of heart disease, lower rates of strokes, and lower cholesterol. That had a significant contribution to future research impacting red meat on health. The legacy of the seven country study is pretty clear. It was a brilliant study looking at the importance of dietary pattern, lifestyle, and chronic disease prevention. And it proved a great insight into what we now know. Now, for those who say they cherry-picked their data, they clearly didn't. Because of the seven countries and the 14 or 16 cohorts that they looked at, that they followed, there were people who ate tons of saturated fat, particularly in East Finland. They would put butter on top of their cheese and eat it between slices of meat. And they had some of the highest heart disease rates and highest cholesterols ever. Let's go back a little bit. What happened was, when they started looking at the impact of people, how they ate, particularly these people in the Mediterranean diet area and the people in Japan, they found their consumption of red meat was no more than about four ounces a day, which is about a hamburger patty. It wasn't zero, but it wasn't a lot. 
It may have been that these people who were getting their protein sources from things like legumes and whole grains and fish and vegetables, that there was a healthy pattern of that. But clearly, increasing red meat was something that sort of was a negative in a diet. There were other studies further on, even 30 years later, showing the correlation between red meat intake and an increase in coronary heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. It was also with higher levels of meat consumption, following people over time, not the year that they had the carnivore diet and felt wonderful. There was clearly an impact in mortality or death rates. Let me quote from one study done in 2010. It said, quote, we estimate that a substitution of one serving a day of other foods, including fish, poultry, nuts, legumes, low-fat dairy, whole, fat, whole grains, for one serving of red meat was associated with a 7 to 19% lower rate, lower mortality risk, which means lower rate of death. What about diabetes? Interestingly enough, including a recent study, red meat consumption has been associated with an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Now, the low-carb people and the carnivore people and the keto people and the paleo people, all of which is one after another, don't really like that. Because over time, they want to say, look, we eat red meat. Red meat isn't like sugar, and sugar is what causes diabetes, but sugar isn't what causes diabetes. It's a little more complicated than that. But there's clearly a higher rate of red meat, especially processed red meat like sausages, bacon, hot dogs. I love hot dogs. And we think that maybe it's because of the higher levels of sodium or the nitrates, which may contribute to diabetes. But the exact mechanism by which red meat may increase diabetic risk isn't fully understood. However, the high iron content of red meat can lead to elevated iron stores in the body, which interfere with insulin reaction and glucose metabolism. And the higher levels of saturated fat in red meat contribute to insulin resistance, clearly. Saturated fat leads to increased accumulation of fat in the muscles and liver, which also lead to insulin resistance. And large-scale epidemiologic studies, meaning looking at populations of red meat consumption and diabetes, one study from the American Journal of Nutrition looking at 200,000 individuals found that a daily serving of red meat was associated with a 19% increase in type 2 or adult-onset diabetes. It was even higher with processed meats. Carnivore people like to say, well, it's, it's higher because you put the meat in a, in a bun, and it's that, uh, that bun that does it. It's not. What about cancer? It turns out that consumption of red meat has been particularly interested to those in cancer research. For example, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization, has classified processed meat as a group 1 carcinogen, and red meat as a group 2A carcinogen. There's been a significant body of research on red meat, particularly processed meat, increasing the risk of colon and rectal cancer. 100 milligrams a day of red meat increase leads to about a 17% increase of colorectal cancer. And again, the potential mechanisms include that heme iron. While the carnivore people will say, wow, heme iron is the most bioavailable iron. It's like, you know, too much iron's toxic, don't you? And that heme iron is, can cause potential reductase problems, form nitrosyl compounds, which are carcinogens, and cooking red meat at high temperature, like grilling or barbecuing, can lead to heterocyclic amines. Polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons also are clearly carcinogenic. 
There have been plenty of studies showing the link between red meat consumption and pancreatic cancer. And there have been studies showing that there may be an indication between red meat and prostate cancer. So all of the studies don't have really strong associations. And also the mechanisms aren't fully understood. But I think if you look at the evidence, and I have plenty of these studies listed on the website, yourdoctorsorders.com, it's pretty compelling that limiting red meat decreases risk of cancer. Now, the carnivore diet, which consists of animal products like meat, fish, and eggs, has gained a lot of attention recently. It's controversial because the carnivore diet people claim there are all these benefits, but the scientific association of those benefits is limited to non-existent. I mean, some of the advantages of the carnivore diet is pretty simple, right? Straightforward. Eat meat. Pretty easy to get rid of all those food groups. And if you get rid of food groups, clearly in there, you're going to get rid of a lot of highly processed foods, especially hyper-processed foods, junk foods. There's a potential for weight loss due to carbohydrate restriction, decrease in water, decrease in glycogen, a little better blood sugar control because if you're not eating a lot of junky food and you're eating nothing but meat, you're going to do it. Some people claim they have mental clarity. I'm not sure if you have mental clarity eating nothing but meat. It is a nutrient-dense food. You're going to have plenty of B12, plenty of iron, plenty of zinc. But here are the drawbacks. You are also going to have nutrient deficiencies. You're going to have no fiber or minimal fiber from red meat. You're going to have pretty low vitamin C. For those of you who remember James Blunt, you know, the guy, the musician singing You're Beautiful, he came up with scurvy being on the carnivore diet. And there's clearly an increased risk of heart disease we sort of have to kind of come to the conclusion that maybe the Mediterranean diet, looking at those people who had lower risks of cancer, lower risk of heart disease, and limited red meat, maybe they were onto something. Here's one of my favorite facts of all time. You will hear carnivore people say you should eat grass-fed, pasture-raised, or your beef should come from that, because it has increased omega-3 fatty acids. Did you know that farm-raised salmon has 10 times the omega-3 fatty acids as grass-fed beef. 10 times. And oftentimes they don't like fish. I don't know why. Fish is great. Salmon or other fish are a great substitution for red meat. Yeah, you got to learn to cook them. So anyway, if you've been thinking that on this red meat consumption, you've been feeling a little icky, you haven't been quite feeling yourself, even though everybody else seems to say, oh, it's great, I eat red meat, I eat salt, I eat water. Jordan Peterson got tired of it. James Blunt got tired of it and got off of it. James Blunt got scurvy, which is pretty hard to find in modern-day America, but with more low-carb, keto, and paleo carnivore people, we, we are seeing it. Here's the bottom line. The Mediterranean diet cleverly limits red meat, probably because the people in these areas were poor, red meat was very expensive, unlike in the United States, and by limiting red meat, they had less diabetes, they had less heart disease, they had less cancer, they had less strokes in the 50 years they were followed than other groups that had more red meat. We are all going to die eventually, but we want to stay healthy until we do. You want to kind of be like my dad. He died at 98, mentally intact, and the only thing he wanted in life was more time, as opposed to those who have horrible, horrible strokes that will actually not living a very happy life. I still like a good steak, but not as often as I used to. 
Because one of the things that I discovered was that my health, my low-density life of protein, my cardiovascular risk factors have gone down and decreased dramatically since I started limiting red meat and increasing my consumption of things like chicken, particularly more fish, and a lot of legumes as a substitute for my protein source at night. Yes, I know I moved to California and bought a tofu press and took up yoga, but it turns out it's probably one of the healthier things that I've done. Thanks for listening to this bit of yourdoctorsorders.com. If you're incorporating the Mediterranean diet, limiting red meat will be something that will save you money. And clearly there are enough indications here that it will save you a lot of potential grief in the future. Remember, while I am a physician, I am not your physician. And before you undergo any dietary change, I would really urge you to talk to your physician, a Western-trained, board-certified physician, not some Eastern, holistic, naturopathic, chiropractic, whatever they're called these days. The research can be found on my blog at yourdoctorsorders or at 4q.com. This was distributed by my friends at Simpler Media, Ali Press and the pod god Evo Terra, who on his beer and sausage diet got better and better, but ultimately in life, he got sick of that, just like you probably got sick of the carnivore, and now is working on adopting a better Mediterranean style because you know what? I just kind of want to keep Evo around. I mean, I don't know about you guys. You may have never met my friend Evo, but he is uh, the guy who distributes and helps with the podcast here. We certainly appreciate it. All right, Evo. Take it on, buddy. Looking forward to seeing you soon.